I am so glad that you made worshiping God a priority together as soon as you could in 2020. Uh, Of all the options for New Year's resolutions, I believe making a commitment to be in worship together as the body of Christ is probably the most significant one you could make. And I pray that uh, the roots of your faith grow deep this year and that you experience all the freedom and victorious living that Christ has in mind for you in 2020. Uh, I'm starting a new series this morning called No Fear. And the series is for those of you who occasionally feel like your soul has a weight attached to it. Uh, maybe, Maybe you battle anxiety or deal with a level of stress sometimes that you don't know that you can handle. You may uh, struggle with letting go of something, maybe dealing with a health issue, aging parents, finances, kids, maybe some transition in life has you drained. Uh, I I pray that it's not all of the above. Uh, May 2020 be the year of victory for you. The foundation of this series is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But before we get to that, um, this passage has been kind of bouncing around in my spirit since we looked at it the second week of Advent. Uh, That message was called Christmas is Peace in the Mess. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can. Um, But we're going to read these verses that Paul penned every week because there there is hope in these words. And we need to let them sink into our spirits and take root. They need to grow and they need to grow deep. And I believe when we do uh, let them grow deep into our soul, we will experience peace and power from the Holy Spirit. So, Each week in this series, after we read from Paul, I'm going to look at a different biblical account that I think kind of fleshes out what Paul means by these words. So some background on Philippians 4. Uh, Paul wanted more than anything to go to Rome and preach the gospel there. Well, he got there, (laughs) um, just not as a free man. He, He arrived in chains. He's writing these words literally chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. I don't know about you, but that would cause me a little bit of stress. Uh, Paul doesn't know whether he will actually get released from prison or whether he will end up being killed. He, He just doesn't know. It was under that stress that he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Say that with me. The Lord is near. One more time, everybody together. The Lord is near. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? So Father, we ask that your presence would be evident to all this morning. We are thankful that you are near. And may these words sink deep into our spirits and guard our hearts and our minds. May we be filled, God, with your power from on high to rejoice in you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, the Lord is near. It's okay, go ahead. The Lord is near. One of the, the many things that I love about New Stanton Church is that y'all let me be a, a real person. You know that I don't walk on water uh, or glow in the dark uh, because of some kind of special pastor privilege thing. Uh, I'm just a regular guy called by God to point people to Jesus. So if you, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to be a little real this morning. Uh, I don't generally get to deal with a lot of anxiety in my spirit. Uh, I tackle stress and problems kind of head on. Under stress, I normally default to my father's advice. And my dad always said, Steve, when you have too much to do, you just take one thing at a time and you keep getting things done until everything gets done. Because somehow, everything always gets done. And it's true, somehow, everything always gets done and it all works out. So I don't get overly excited or overly stressed out under pressure. I just get one thing done at a time, believing that it's all part of God's plan and that it will make sense later because it never makes sense in the moment, amen? Uh, but honestly, this past fall, was a really, really tough season for me. And, and please hear me, I'm not looking for any sympathy, I'm not looking for a compliment for the way things turned out, nor do I want anybody to feel guilty if you asked me to do something this fall that took some time. I'm just trying to say to those of you that sometimes deal with life and stress and anxiety that has you wonder if you can handle it all, like me too. Uh, I normally plan sermon series an entire year in advance. And as I rolled this year through September, October, and November, I was busy with weddings and counseling and visitation, and Lisa had some health things going on, and we had a couple other significant family things going on that, that really took uh, an emotional toll on our family and me, and I tried through all that, to follow my dad's advice. But in my spirit, I had just like way too much going on. And in the back of my mind, I knew that I had not done any work on the Advent series that I preached this Advent. There were a number of families that had loved ones that were really, really sick and my heart was just breaking for them and I didn't know in my spirit how I was gonna take care of things at home, write an Advent message, 
and be there for those families that I loved dearly. I felt like I was living under a weight. Maybe you know what, what that's like. For some reason, it was like the sermon series that caused me the most anxiety. Like I preach all the time. I do it every year. Didn't make sense. But that's the way anxiety works. It doesn't make sense. Well, during that season, uh, I did not sleep well. And for those of you who know me, I don't sleep well. Anyway, (laughs) uh, I had this constant stress headache. I felt like the weight on my spirit, like I just couldn't shake it. And I tried to pray against the stress and against the anxiety and the burden on my soul. I just found it really hard. And even as I was preaching peace in the mess during Advent, I was thinking, God, (laughs) I can't believe you are calling me to preach this right now because I am struggling under the weight of all this mess in my spirit. I felt like I was struggling to maintain my sanity. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I'm guessing that some of you have been there too. And All that to say, this series does not come from a season of like great strength. It comes from a season like honestly that I'm still recovering from, but I tend to recover best like out loud. So thank you for letting me just be Steve and uh, proclaiming things that I am trying to live into in Christ. So Paul said in 1st In Philippians 4, 6, he said this, do not be anxious about anything. And as these words ran around in my spirit since Advent, I wrestled with this question. God, is that even possible? In the world we live in, with all that's going on, can we really be anxious for nothing? I mean, there's like, machete attacks and church shootings and kids getting abducted. They're all over Facebook. People we know getting sick, diagnosed with cancer. Can we really be anxious for nothing? What I want to do this morning is show you a snapshot of an Old Testament prophet who loved God dearly. And he saw the Lord's faithfulness. He saw God's power. He saw God's provision. Yet he still struggled with significant stress and anxiety. His name is Elijah. And in case you don't know his story, God called him to confront an evil king of Israel named Ahab. And after confronting King Ahab, for worshiping other gods beside the one and only God, Ahab did not repent. Instead, Ahab went hunting for Elijah. And for three years, Elijah was on the run, but the entire time, God proved faithful and miraculously provided for Elijah. He fed him bread and meat morning and evening, like literally birds brought him food. God used ravens because he knew that cats wouldn't cooperate. Elijah saw countless miracles right from God's hand. He he prayed 
over a boy that had died whose mother was helping Elijah and God raised him from the dead. Another time near the end of this three-year drought, Elijah faced 850 false prophets. 450 of them were false prophets of a God named Baal. And Baal was said to be the God of the storm. You know, somebody that might be able to make it rain. Well, they couldn't. And Elijah prayed to God and God rained down fire, burnt up the offering, lapped up all the water they had doused the offering with. And then it says that Elijah the prophet killed all the false prophets. So this was not a dude that you would want to mess with. Elijah witnessed the miracle and the power and the faithfulness and the strength of God while he served him. After all that happened, King Ahab's wife Jezebel gets involved and she basically tells her husband, listen, if you can't kill this guy, I'll do it. And Elijah completely falls apart. He loses it. And I can remember preaching this passage in the past and thinking, ha, can you believe this guy? <laughs> After three years of seeing God's hand, now he's going to question. I remember thinking, I can't believe how ridiculous this sounds. He just killed 850 prophets. He had God's protection, God's provision. Why is he so afraid of this skirt? How many of you know that stress can accumulate? You know that firsthand at all? Yeah, a number of you. After going through this past fall, like I think, like I think I get it. This, this woman's threat to him after all that was the straw that broke Elijah's back. And I think he just had enough. For me, it was the Advent series, which didn't make sense. For him, it's a threat. I just had enough. So I want to look at this account this morning because I think God taught me something new through it. This is 1 Kings starting with chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his wife. That's after Jezebel made her threat. So he, he's just a little anxious, right? This is for real. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he's by himself wandering in the wilderness under a ton of stress. And he comes to a broom brush tree, it says, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Now, this makes absolutely no sense because what was Elijah afraid of? being killed. But now he's sitting under a broom brush tree praying that he would just die. And then we get to the proverbial straw statement for Elijah. I have had enough, Lord, he said. 
You know, I can't take any more of this. Have you been there in your own life? Do you know what it's like to hit that wall? And then Elijah says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. He had enough. For you, it might be the bills that are stacking up or, or maybe something else broke in the long list of line of things that have broken recently or a relationship that just keeps getting worse or, or maybe your kids complained about dinner again. You know, they do it every day, but this last time, you know, you've just had enough. For me, it was writing an Advent series <laughs> that I do every year. I just had enough. As I read this account, God showed me four mistakes that, that, that I tend to make and maybe you tend to make from time to time. And I wanna look at them this morning in hopes that we can identify them on the front end and maybe not make them again. So number one, the first mistake Elijah made was running too hard and too long. He ran, it says, all the way to Beersheba. From where he started out, that was 100 miles. He ran the equivalent of almost four marathons. He ran himself into the ground. Again, have you been there? Because you can only go so hard so long and then you will crash. You'll get sick, you'll get tired, you'll get exhausted. And often the problem isn't the problem that's in front of us. It, the problem in front of us is just the proverbial straw that breaks the back. It's sort of like the tip of an iceberg. You, you can see the tip, but the problem is the huge mass of ice that has formed just under the surface. We need to slow down. And we need to rest. And we need to spend time in God's presence. And it is always better to do that on the front end before you collapse from exhaustion and lose hope. It's better to do that before you get to the point where you pray crazy prayers like Elijah is praying, God, just take my life. So Elijah's first mistake is going too hard, too long. His second mistake, Elijah, second mistake was isolating himself. It says in that scripture that he left his servant. So he left his trusted friend and headed off a day's journey into the wilderness alone. Now, there is something to be said about some downtime in the wilderness to recharge. I like sitting in a tree stand more than any other redneck preacher I know. And heading out into the wilderness to recharge before you hit the wall is really, really important. But Elijah did not go into the wilderness to recharge. He went there hoping to die. That is probably not the best time to be alone. Now, I did not want to die, <laughs> but I was not sleeping well 
And in December, I, I came into the church here in the morning like at 2 or 3 a.m. And it was great. Uh, I got a lot done, and it was quiet, and there wasn't any distractions, but it was lonely. And I crashed every night, like at 7 or 8 o'clock, and I wasn't around my family a whole lot. Isolation and being alone under stress is not healthy. It is not good for the soul. I am so thankful that our church focuses on connect groups as one of our four areas of focus because we need one another. Can I, can I get a little bit of amen on that? Just a little bit. And I mean this with all sincerity. Connect groups need to be the heartbeat of who we are as a church because without the support and the love and the care of the community of believers, we are at risk. We start to do things like get stinking thinking and think thoughts that aren't healthy. We start signups for connect groups January 12th, and you need to be in one. And I am personally thankful for some of the staff and some brothers and sisters in Christ that, that listened to me whine and prayed for me when I hit the wall and didn't judge me. So th thank you. The third mistake Elijah made was dwelling on the negative. Elijah said, I've had enough. And then he said this, I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, I'm just like the rest of those losers. Like I can't do anything right. God just put me out of my misery. When we are alone and talking to ourselves, sometimes we say things that we would never say to another living soul, right? When you're tired, alone, hungry, vulnerable, stressed, our mind goes to bad places and spins out of control. My life stinks. It's always gonna be like this. I hate my job, I hate the people I work with. What's the point? I'm never gonna be happy, I'm always gonna struggle, I'm always gonna be broke. Have you ever felt that negative toxicity creeping into your spirit? It gets dark there. I didn't get that dark, but I remember saying to Lisa during the fall in December, like, I need to get off this ride because <laughs> it's gonna kill me if I don't. That is not an expression of the victorious Christian life that is possible for us in Christ. We need rest. We need people. We need to focus on the positive. Focusing on the negative leads to the fourth mistake Elijah made. The fourth mistake Elijah made was forgetting that God was with him. Every step of the way, Every moment in time, for the past three years, God had been present, God had been faithful, his power had been visible. Even though God had been faithful, Elijah did what many of us do. He forgot in his isolation that God was still near. God comes to speak with Elijah, and God God didn't say, you know what, I'm so disappointed in you. Instead, God says to Elijah, he says, 
you go stand on the mountain because I'm going to reveal myself to you. This is 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. This is this interchange between God and Elijah. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? There is a powerful, powerful truth in the fact that God spoke in the gentle whisper. You see, the devil will shout lies. He will shout condemnation and accusation. He will tell you you are never enough, that you'll never make it, that you'll always be on your own. You'll always be a failure. But our God will whisper to you. And do you know why he whispers? Because the Lord is near. Say that with me again. The Lord is near. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He whispers because he is close. He is not far off. Remember, Elijah's fear was dying. You want to know something funny? Elijah never died. God literally sent a chariot to sweep him off the earth and take him to heaven. He literally had nothing to fear, and we can claim it too. No fear. I came this morning to whisper something to you from God. Most, most of the things you are afraid of will never, ever happen. And if they do, God is so close. He will walk you through them every step of the way. No fear, no fear, but in everything, with prayer and petition, bring your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds and your souls in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come before you to claim victory in 2020. Victory in Jesus. We come knowing that you are near, that you are close, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. And God, we claim that, we own that. We claim the fact that you whisper. We can hear you in the still, small voice. In Jesus' name.